Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome everybody to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. You tuned in to a fantastic episode. I mean, you seriously did. We are going to talk about one of the most fascinating carnivores on the planet. Today, we are going to talk about the African wild dog. Now, it's crazy. It's This is kind of an animal that's really overlooked a lot. When we think of large carnivores, or maybe we just think of Africa, you think of lions, you think of hyenas, leopards, and cheetahs, a lot of people forget about the African wild dog. And it is truly one of the most fascinating carnivores on the planet. And as I speak right now, it is one of the most endangered large carnivores in Africa. Second most endangered large carnivore next to the Ethiopian wolf is the African wild dog. And not a lot of people know a lot about them. So this is an animal I always have just wanted to really focus in and talk about on the podcast. On the show, I have Dr. Danny Rabiotti. I love her last name, Rabiotti. Uh, she is a zoologist and science communicator. She studies African wild dogs in the wild in Africa, and she is just a wealth of information. I learned so much during this interview. There's a lot of stuff that people don't know about these wild dogs, and they're really similar to us. They have these family structures and these tight-knit communities, these units. They work together. They are unusual amongst a lot of, a lot of other carnivores because they have a high success kill rate. It is, like I said, very, very fascinating. And a lot of people don't know a lot about them. They used to be found all over Africa and now they're only found in 7% of the historical range. So don't worry though, this is not a doom and gloom podcast. I promise there is hope. As we learn, you know, and as I learned talking to Dr. Danny, they can actually bounce back really quick and they are doing so. She also talks about the best places in Africa to see wild dogs. And I'll tell you what, I've been to Africa a few times and I have never seen wild dogs. And that is like high up on my wildlife bucket list. And she talks about why that should be on your bucket list as well. As always, I encourage you to join us over for the after show. We have a really fun after show. Dr. Danny is actually the author of several books, including one book that hit the New York Times bestseller list. And that is the book titled, Does It Fart? Yes, that's correct. The book is called Does It Fart? And Dr. Danny goes into the inspiration behind the book title and what that process was like writing a book. We also talk about the one animal that you would be shocked that does not fart. It seriously blew my mind. And this is an animal I've worked with numerous times, especially on television projects like the Today Show. And I never knew that this animal did not fart. So make sure to stay tuned for the after show. She also talks in the after show about working with zoos and how zoos and captive wild dog populations have helped her research out in the wild by using these quote unquote Fitbits for wild dogs. It is so fascinating. By the way, I actually, I want to give a shout out to someone. I want to give a shout out to my aunt Pam. Hi, aunt Pam. She's actually in Missouri. And it was so funny. She actually texted me the other day and she was like, the only thing I hate about your podcast. And I was sitting there thinking like, oh crap, what is aunt Pam going to say? Cause she's a super blunt lady and um, no offense, aunt Pam, but she really tells it how it is. And she said, the only thing I don't like about your podcast, dot, 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 is having to shut it off when I go to work. And it was like the best compliment in the whole entire world. So thank you, Aunt Pam. 
So I called Aunt Pam and she actually had a question. She said, Corbin, what is this Patreon? How do I sign up? And what is this to listen to the after show? And I was like, oh my God, Aunt Pam, that is a great question. So patreon.com is just a membership site. All you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the backs and you can join a tier. Programs and memberships start at $10 a month and that basically helps to support the show. It goes to podcast hosting fees, equipment, etc. And you get bonus content for being one of our favored Patreon members. Patreon members, you get this bonus content, and those are the after show content. So, Aunt Pam, all you have to do is just go to that website and you can listen to all the bonus after shows. We have several bonus after shows for all of our Patreon members, and it's a great way to really get more of a behind the scenes look at how I do the interview and get to know these guests, especially if you're enjoying the show. I promise you will love the after show. There's a lot of good stuff there. So anyway, I hope I answered your question, Aunt Pam. Thank you so much for listening. Now, Aunt Pam, and I'm talking to everyone else listening, if you haven't already, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. And that really helps, once again, helps the show grow. Leave a, a rating and a review. Let us know what you think of the show. I also enjoy hearing all of your podcast guest slash topic suggestions. You can send them my way by just emailing me, or you can send me a DM on Instagram. My Instagram handle is just at Corbin Maxi. Okay, with that said, let's get to it. Let's talk African wild dogs. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Danny Rabioti. I am so excited today because today I am speaking with Dr. Danny Rabioti. Did I say it right? Yeah, you did. You did. Oh my God. I love that. It just sounds so Italian to me. Rabioti. It sounds like a dish I would order at an Italian restaurant. I hope you don't take that as an offense. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Uh, as you can also, uh, people listening won't be able to tell this, but obviously I look really Italian as well with having blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you don't look Italian at all. <laughs> yeah, that's from my mum's side. I got the name from my dad's side. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. Today we're going to talk about an animal I have just been fascinated with. And honestly, I've been wanting to talk about African wild dogs for the longest time. And when I did research, you were like the top dog, I guess, pun intended. That was so lame, but you were like the top dog of like researchers. And I reached out and was like, can you come on the show to talk about African wild dogs? And you agreed to fit me in your busy schedule. So thank you so much. Yeah, no worries at all. I'll, I'll always fit in talking more about African wild dogs into my schedule. It's my favorite activity. So, <laughs> Can I ask you a question, though? Do you cringe when I say African wild dog? Is it painted dog or African wild dog? No, we always, our research group always uses African wild dog. Um, that's because, like, most people in Africa just call them wild dogs if they're using English. So, um we kind of try and stick. We work with a lot of teams overseas. So yeah, we just kind of, st kind of try and stick with that. Um, it's only been really like more on TV that you've seen this like big push for the name change. Yeah. And I've heard other researchers and I guess I'm not, I I've heard other researchers say they like to call them painted dogs because they want to like change the perception of like the wild dogs because it gives them like a bad name. Would you not agree with that? Um, I don't think so. Like the... So I think the push came because um, Ethiopian wolves went under this big rebranding to Ethiopian wolf. And um, that was quite successful um, in helping conserve them. It made them sound a bit more exciting. They used to be called a simian fox. Um, oh. So, but I think with African wild dogs, sometimes the, people say, oh, yeah, like 
they people would shoot them because they thought they were just like vermin but the reason that they shot them because they thought they were vermin was because that was like policy at the time rather than because of their name um and i'm not sure like changing their name is going to really help with them like eating people's livestock uh i don't think they would know that we'd change their names so um we just kind of stick to what we what is a preference among our African colleagues, basically. And that's African Wild Dog. It's got African in the name. They only live in Africa. So it's kind of generally preferred with the peop- among the people we work with. So so that's the name we stick to. Yes. And for listeners who maybe who are unfamiliar with the African Wild Dog, um, you know, because there's a lot of stuff people don't know about. And we're, I mean, obviously, you're a researcher. We're still finding out so much about them. But can we talk about the African Wild Dog really quick for people who are maybe unfamiliar with the species? Yeah, of course. So um, African wild dogs, they do look kind of similar to some domestic dogs. Um, so I think most people looking at them would be like, that kind of looks like a dog. But actually, they're not that closely related. Um, they're in their own separate genus, like Kaon, Um And that means they're not they're not closely related enough to be able to breed with domestic dogs. Um, and they're a pack living animal. Uh, they have an alpha male and an alpha female, and that's the breeding pair. And then they have a lot of helpers and they help raise the offspring, um, although they don't have babies themselves. And they also often work together as a group to hunt. Um, they're what's known as like an obligate cooperative breeder. So that means they have to be in a pack to be able to breed successfully. They can't just go off on their own and have babies. Um, and they've got these really striking coat color um which is like brown and black and white uh and we use those to identify them because it's in, it's unique to each individual and that's kind of where the scientific name like and pictus comes from because pictus means painted so people saw them they were like that's a cool coat color and they they called them as like painted yes. um yeah so i guess that's quite a quick descriptor um they eat mammals vast majority any mammal species around they'll 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 pretty much eat it bar like elephants which are obviously way too big um and they're what's called a coursing predator so they'll like run through the undergrowth and chase their prey out um but when you see them on telly often you'll see them in the open uh and but that's actually because they're much easier to film when they're doing those hunts out in the open because it's like really difficult to film them in the closed habitats because all you get is like loads of leaves and bush and yeah so um there's that's a bit of a like misrepresentation of how they normally hunt really i didn't know that so they're normally not out like a cheetah running around catching game they're more in like the woodlands hunting yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they have a much higher hunting success rate if there's like barriers for them to chase animals into, whether that's um, undergrowth or whether that's fences. So they're actually really good at like chasing animals into fences and then eating them. <laughs> it, wow. Okay. Is it true that they have a 90% success kill rate? So that's a little bit of an over-exaggeration. I really, everyone always asks me this and I, I was like, I got to track down where this figure comes from. And I found a paper on African wild dog hunting success. And for one species, they did have 90% hunting success rate, but that species was baby gazelles. And I always say like, if I ran through <laughs> some open area full of baby gazelles with my mouth open, I would probably catch one. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but they do have a really high hunting success rate, higher than lions, leopards, cheetahs, hyenas, um, round about like 60%, mm. um, depending on the prey species. It's much higher for some species and much lower for others. Um, they're very, very successful with like a lot of smaller prey types, but 
with the larger prey, though. They'll miss quite a lot because it's much harder to catch. And let's compare that to lions. Don't they only have like a 20 to 30% success kill rate? Yeah, exactly. So wild dogs are much, much, much more successful. But again, bear in mind that lions are often hunting like pretty big animals. So they kind of have a harder job. Whereas wild dogs can, they'll kind of like um, scare the prey out from the undergrowth or run in a pack and scare the prey out from the undergrowth and then all chase off each one or chase off after you know whatever's running out um so that method of hunting is like more likely to ending success because they're hunting multiple prey at the same time whereas lions are generally just like going for one one individual um oh. and often wild dogs could depending on how big the prey is they could take it down on on their own if it's like a smaller antelope species um like in our study site they mostly hunt these tiny antelopes called dick dick they mm. make up 80 percent of their diet oh. um so one wild dog can kill a dick dick easy so it's kind of different compared to lions which are like really really having to work as a team to bring down these like big big antelope species i did so they're mainly eating smaller prey species like dick dicks which is <laughs> And I would say, like Thompson's gazelles or I mean, what is. Yeah, our site's a little weird. I'm not sure there's anywhere else. So we mostly work in like Kipia in Kenya. Um, oh, and Kenya. I think there's just like a very high density of dick dick there. So it's much easier for them to, to catch. Um, but Impala are one of the favorite prey. Impala. Sometimes kudu so on the bigger end, sometimes up to like kudu size. Um, so they're kind of a larger, larger than an Impala, but smaller than like a, a wildebeest. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And so I was, that's so fascinating. And I, I have to say if you've ever, and I've only seen like a wild dog hunt on TV and I feel like they make it, they kind of like, I want to say, give it a Disney effect where they cover up, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like they make it kid friendly and stuff, but from what I hear, it's, it's pretty intense. Can we talk about that? Yeah, so actually, um, back when people were like, um, kind of white settlers were were colonizing Africa, they really didn't like wild dogs at all. And that was like part of the problem was in early days, people would just shoot them. And part of the problem was that they saw them as like uncivilized and aggressive because of the way that they kill their prey. Because with big cats like cheetahs, leopards, lions, they suffocate their prey before they start eating it. But wild dogs just kind of start eating it before they just tear it up basically um which you know with a small animal like a dick dick it just gets torn in half and then it dies but with larger animals there's can be some pretty grisly like intestines hanging out like while the animal's still trying to run away and it's not the nicest thing to watch but then it can take a really long time for big cats to suffocate their prey whereas you know once your intestines have fallen out you're gonna die pretty quickly so i don't know much of a, it's they're both pretty horrible ways to die is the way the way i would put it i would rather be killed by i think a leopard though wouldn't you something quick you don't know yeah, than, but than being like, disemboweled by a pack suffocated to death that's pretty horrible like if you were a wildebeest you know you, that's you know especially younger big cats can take a really long time to suffocate their prey if they're not experienced so you know you got hours of being held down in some cases so i i don't know i i don't think i'd fancy either to be honest <laughs> when we were in africa when we were not bored but just trying to kill time we'd be like what animal would you rather be killed by and i always said i think a leopard so if you had to be killed by one animal this is the weirdest question i've ever asked on my podcast but what would it be in, in africa i feel like hyenas make pretty short work like... but they but they disembowel you like it really you just 
But it'd be quick, right? Like, it's gonna be quick. Really? So you'd rather do hyenas than lions? Yeah, because, like, if a hyena... Well, I don't know. It's kind of hard because it's like, am I a person or am I a, 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 as a, a person? person I as a like person. I feel like a lion's going to, like, make pretty short work. But if yes. I was, like, an antelope, I uh-huh. feel like the process of slowly suffocating is just traumatic. Especially once you've seen, like, an inexperienced cat do it. It's just really bad. <laughs> yeah, and, and I have to say, and I've never seen... I've never seen a a hunt or a kill in person. I've only seen it on camera. And I know for, you know, when we watch those Nat Geo specials, they add music to it. They take the sounds out and it's quick. And then they, you know what I mean, go to the scenes that are kids friendly. But I do hear sometimes it's pretty hard to watch. Has that been a problem for you studying African wild dogs? Well, not really, because we rarely see a killer our study site and it takes them like two seconds to shred the, the whatever they're eating. So, you know, oh. normally we get there and sometimes they've got like half a dick dick in their mouth. But I mean, it's long dead by then. So, <laughs> you know, um, so it's kind of grim when they pull them in half. But yeah, it's not I've not. I'm not like some of the big cat researchers like I um our study also looks at cheetahs and oh. I've heard some terrible stories of like baby cheetahs who were just learning to take down their prey like spending like 4 hours trying to suffocate it and then just giving up and tucking in which sounds a lot worse to me (laughs) oh gosh yeah that sounds crazy okay so you're studying in Kenya you said yeah so um the focus of the main field site that's run out of the Zoological Society of London where I work um, is in Laikipia in Kenya but more recently and also we've been closely working with sites in Zimbabwe and South Africa as well Okay, so if someone listening, are wild dogs found everywhere in Africa or are they pretty endangered? So historically, they were found across most of sub-Saharan Africa, um, but because of persecution by people and because of habitat loss and disease, which they get from domestic dogs, um, they're now restricted to just 7% of their historic range and it's quite fragmented. Um, You know, like there's some in East Africa, there's a few in South Africa and Kruger, there's um, some like around the Okavango Delta, around like Botswana, Namibia. Um, That's the biggest population remaining. But if you look at a map of it, it's just like dots dotted around everywhere. Um, And they're almost entirely extinct from West Africa. Um, There's just one population remaining, and that's in uh, Senegal. Oh, my. So are they the the most endangered large carnivore in Africa? Second after the Ethiopian wolf. Um, but they were already like, they didn't have such a wide range to begin with, um, but they nearly really nearly went extinct. So I would say they're probably more threatened than wild dogs because they only live in one tiny area. Okay. And so how do we know, like, can we give an estimate on the population of wild dogs? Like how many yeah, are left? Yeah. So... We think that probably less than 700 packs. And because there's only one breeding pair per pack, that's like less than 700 breeding pairs. Less than 700 packs and less than 700 breeding pairs left in the world. Yeah. In, yeah. in, in the wild. Yeah, in the wild. That's terrifying. Yeah, it is. It is really, really worrying. Um, it's been a really precipitous decline. Um, and the thing is, there's just like outside of where they live now there's not a lot of suitable habitat left so it's really hard to say like how are you going to increase this population they need such a large area to live in so like they can have a territory size of up to a thousand kilometers squared so that's part of the problem is they're such a wide-ranging species 
Um, and that's why the range-wide program through ZSL was set up for wild dogs and cheetahs, because both of them are very wide-ranging species. So they have quite specialized conservation needs. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, most animals need habitat, but they need a lot, a big area of habitat, like without fences, which is becoming more and more rare. Yeah, if someone listening, why care about wild dogs? I think the thing about wild dogs is they are so unique. They're taxonomically unique, as in they're in their own genus. They're the only species in that genus. Um, They're visually very distinct. I think they're absolutely beautiful animals. Um, And also um, socially, they're quite unique as well. And and that's what I love about them is, you know, they, they really work as a pack. They have some conflict but not to the level you see in some other species like meerkats (laughs) and um they're just you know we get when we get an injured animal they really do care for the animal and they're so socially bonded it's just really lovely to experience that and whether you can see them yourself in person or whether you're watching them on the telly it's just really really wonderful to watch them um you know bonding and getting ready to hunt and um you know nursing the sick and injured members of the pack in fact helpful nursing the pups or looking after the pregnant female i just think that's really really wonderful i think so can we talk about their social structure because i've heard some like you know and you just mentioned you know taking care of sick individuals i think that is so interesting can we go into that if maybe a group is uh or if a member of the pack is hurt yeah so if a member of the pack is hurt Um, they'll usually leave it behind and then go off and hunt and then bring food back to that individual. And what that enables them to do is recover from some really serious injuries. So we've had dogs with broken legs that have recovered because the other members of the pack have bought them food. One individual actually broke its leg and then went on to be an alpha male of that pack. So really, yeah. Yeah, it's um, really impressive what they can recover from. I would say second only really to hyenas, which that's less so the pack looking after each other in hyenas and more the fact they're just really really hardcore (laughs) oh hyenas are hardcore (laughs) yep (laughs) oh my gosh that's insane only because if you get uh, he he recovered from a broken leg yeah yeah we've had more than one individual recover from a broken leg um they really do do look out for each other so as long as there's not like an infection that sets in or something then they can recover from some really bad injuries I feel like if you're a lion and you get a broken leg, are you pretty much screwed? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think it probably depends, but they don't seem to, lions don't seem to like provision each other as much as wild dogs. Um, You know, it's the fact that the wild dogs will go and eat and then come and regurgitate for an injured individual, for puppies, for, you Mm -hmm. know, um, and they'll babysit the pups. So a different individual will stay with the pups when they go off and hunt. Um, and they bring the food back and they mostly try and give it to the pops. The babysitter has to muscle in a bit, but they are bringing enough food back for the babysitter as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. How many wild dogs are in a pack? So it can be anywhere between, but occasionally two, but it's quite unusual. (laughs) It can just be like the alpha male and female, but they'd usually have quite a low success rate at that point, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of breeding. Um, but it can be up to like 25, even maybe 30 individuals in a pack. Um, but at that point, you know, that some are going to leave because that's just a really, really big pack. You're like, they're going to leave any day now. Uh Um, yeah. Okay. So, and then they have to find, so the two alphas have to start a pack and then they start having offspring and then those offspring take care of the other offspring and that's how the family unit works. 
Yeah, so usually the founders, um, so that will be the dogs that start the pack, um, there'll be a group of males and a group of females. So they disperse in single sex groups. Um, oh. So you'll have a pack and then like a group of, um, say, females will leave and they'll probably be siblings, but they could be like an aunt and, an, an, and a, a niece in there. Mm. Um, and then from another pack, you'll get a group of males leaving and they basically have to wander around until they find um, a group of the opposite sex. And then when they do, they form a pack and they wander around till they find a territory. And then that's when they settle down and start breeding. And then it begins again where they start forming a pack. And we see that as the pack gets larger, um, that's when they're more likely to disperse out because their chances of breeding are just like getting lower and lower and lower. And they're getting, you know, um, kind of, yeah, less less potential for breeding success so more impetus to leave but when they're dispersing they have much higher mortality so it is a big risk to go off and and try and form your own pack because you're quite likely to die um so that's the trade-off really that they, they they have to pay okay they're more likely to die is that uh, uh um predation from other predators so they're in smaller groups so yeah they're more likely to be killed by other predators and they might have more difficulty like hunting larger prey um but also and like today the biggest issue is that they're going into human dominated areas and they're mm. getting into more contact with people and they're going into less suitable habitats um and they're coming into more contact with domestic dogs so they're more likely to pick up diseases uh going into areas with less prey density so all in all, yeah, there's just loads and loads of risks for a dispersing individual. And we, we don't really see them dispersing more than for more than like one or maximum two months um, before they either die or they form a new pack. Oh, so it's a, it's a tough life to be a wild dog in Africa. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy because they're meso predators, right? So they're not the... Um, they're not herbivores. They they are predators, but they're also like the one of the lowest rungs of predators. So you know, lions will kill them, hyenas will kill them, leopards will kill them. Leopards so, will kill them. Yeah. So not only do they have the horrible task of having to hunt and feed themselves, which is really hard. Predators really have a rough time of it. Everyone thinks the herbivores have a rough time of it, but at least they can just like eat some grass. But predators have to go out and find food, so that's extremely stressful. They don't have a high hunting success, and then on top of that, for meso predators they've got these threats from larger predators. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really difficult. And then of course the threats from people on top of that, it's, 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 it seems like a very stressful, stressful life. Dr. Danny, you're stressing me out and I'm just talking about it on a podcast. So let, let's actually rank the predators in Africa. So the top, would you say lions or hyenas? Are they on the I'd same say level? Yeah, I think they're pretty much on the same. Well, no, I think probably hyenas probably below lions because lions, depending on how many hyenas there are, lions mm. can often move hyenas off a kill. But if there's loads of hyenas, sometimes they'll bully a lion off a kill. Okay. Um, so it's a it's a flip. It's a, there's a flip side as well. But in terms of for a wild dog, lion is worse. So you know they can sometimes put up a fight against hyenas if there's a pack and there's only like one hyena or two hyenas. Uh -huh. But with lions, they'll just leave. Yeah, they don't they don't really stand a chance. Normally they'll just run away. So, okay, so lions will kill them, but lions will just kill them because they're competition. They won't eat them, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, they don't generally eat them. I mean, occasionally, but not really. They're not killing them for food. Now, will leopards kill them for food? 
Yeah, sometimes we find them up a tree and then we're like, mm, Leopard probably killed that and ate it a bit. <laughs> oh my god. Now, well, hyenas will eat them too, right? Um, well, hyenas will eat most things. That's what but I was then, thinking. But then, like, sometimes, like, the hyenas mainly, they will kill them, but particularly the young. But mostly what the hyenas do is they run in on the kill. And it's absolutely hilarious. If, like, if you haven't seen a video of this, you should watch it. Where they'll run in and then they'll sit down because the wild dogs will, like, bite them on the bum. And they'll, like, spin around in the middle of all the wild dogs trying to get the carcass off them. And all the wild dogs will be, like, biting them, biting them, biting them. So there's a lot more conflict, like, two-way conflict. And actually, wild dogs will kill baby hyenas as well. So it's 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 tricky. I would say hyenas are, like, probably... They're serious competition, and they do take a good proportion of wild dog kills in quite a few areas. But then in other areas where it's mostly solitary hyenas, they can get a bit of a battering off the wild dogs okay. in return. So... Okay, so so your ranking would go lions, hyenas, leopards, are cheap. I would put leopards above hyenas, I think, in terms of like competition for wild dogs, because leopards will just kill wild dogs. And I've only ever heard of one incident of a wild dog killing a, a leopard, whereas I've like, from hyena researchers, I know that like in some areas, they they will kill quite a few hyena young. You, you mean um, wild dog young too, that the leopards? Uh, yeah, but the leopards will kill adult wild dogs as well. Um, oh my god. But I did hear off someone in the field once that they were taking some people out on safari and they saw a pack of wild dogs chasing an impala and they chased it through a leopard and then they all just killed the leopard. So it happens. Weird stuff happens sometimes. Oh. You know, that's very you wouldn't expect that normally we'd expect the leopards to be a bigger threat to wild dogs. Yes. And I guess we should talk about this. What is their size? Uh, uh, com- compared to these other animals? Because I know hyenas are much bigger, lions obviously much bigger. Wild dogs are pretty small, right, compared to these large yeah, carnivores? Yeah, they're really small, even smaller than a cheetah. Um, so cheetahs are in a similar position where they get bullied quite a lot by hyenas, leopards, lions, um, and they can't really keep their kill away from them once they've 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 made a kill. But um, wild dogs are even smaller than cheetahs, um, which makes it a bit tricky sometimes because we've only just got the technology to track wild dogs with collars that automatically upload to satellites. Before that, we had to kind of drive around with a downloader to get the data off them because they're so light. Um, so they're about the size as my parents' labradoodle, I would say. <laughs> okay, so like 60 pounds, 50, 60 pounds? It, it really varies site to site. Um, they can be really light. Like our site in East Africa, they're really, really small. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to answer that question. I should probably like have my spreadsheet on hand oh, from fine. like how, how big the color <laughs> can be on them. But um, yeah, it's just really, really variable. Okay. Yeah. But so, okay. I guess a Labradoodle, that's a really good comparison. Just for someone listening, that's kind of how big yeah. they are. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. If in Southern Africa they're much bigger, but in East Africa they're quite small. So, <laughs> and is that because of prey? They're bigger in Southern Africa because of the prey they eat. We do not know. So I we've been looking into this a bit because also their coat color is much darker in East Africa than in Southern Africa. And again, like we can't find out any correlation other than distance from East Africa. So we're still working on un- unraveling why why there is this difference. Do you think it could be like are they considered a separate subspecies? No, um, they used to be, but then they were like, oh, no, actually, they're just the same species. So I think it's probably just something in the environment might be causing them to express those genes differently. Or maybe it's just that it's a really long way for them to disperse down there. And there's not much gene exchange between the two 
the two populations, but they're not that separate, but they look fairly different. Okay. So I want you to do something for me. You ready for it, Dr. Danny? Yeah. You look nervous. You're like, what? Oh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> I want you to take me through a day. Like listeners right now are wondering, like, take me through a day of studying African wild dogs. Like what, you know, just take us through, like, what is that experience like? So I think I'm probably going to have to do two separate ones because there's like the field experience, but then there's also like usually my day-to-day experience. So I'll start with like, if you're in the field, normally you will get up, you'll use um, a radio, um, like you'll use the VHF collars on the wild dogs. They emit a sound and you can pick it up. Um, And so you've got this big antenna and one person sticks their arm out the car out the sunroof and one person drives and you listen to the noise the collar's making which is this kind of like sound and then like the louder it gets then you know that you're getting closer and then once you get to the dogs then you can download the data but it's got a bit easier now because we have some collars that automatically upload so you can go to where that last location was uh, to to narrow it down a little bit in terms of where they might be because they can travel like kilometers and kilometers in a day so it, it can be really tricky often you won't even find them even though they've got collars on they're really 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 hard to find are they uh, are they yeah. hid- are they hidden in the i mean i guess you should have asked well, that. Are they just they... go so far like you could have seen them in one place yesterday and then the next day they're like 30 kilometers away so <laughs> and what is 30 kilometers for all of my american listeners sorry Ooh uh i'm not very good uh, we do use miles in the uk it's like i use kilometers for work and but and miles for like when i'm driving i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know why that I'm is i'm not good with my kilometers audience but yeah we'd appreciate uh, the mile so it's conversion. about 18 miles eight eight 18 or 80 18 18 oh my you can see them in one place and then they could be 18 miles somewhere else the next day yeah, and then you're trying to listen for the signal, but then maybe they're in a bush. You know, it's just really tricky um, to locate them. And that's with collars on. Like, without collars, it's just another level. Um, so I guess that's mostly... And then you'll download the data, and then you take it back, and you input it onto your computer. You, like, count how many wild dogs are at the in the pack, check that the alpha female and male stay the same, um note down any relevant details at all um and then then you go back and you enter that into a spreadsheet basically and that that's how it works but mostly what i do these days is on the other end of things where i kind of manage the the data side and like build the models so my research focuses on the impact of climate change on african wild dogs so i've used all that data that everyone's been collecting in the field over the past like 20 years that our field site's been running And I've been looking at how, when the temperatures are high, how that changes their behavior, how that changes their breeding, how that changes their survival, and then putting it all into this like really big model because we can't take the wild dogs and like heat them up in the lab. So I have to do it (laughs) on the computer. Um, So like my day-to-day of studying wild dogs, especially now in the pandemic, is I come next door from my bedroom into this room and I sit down at the computer and I run these computational models and also like have a lot of um, calls with the field team about deploying these new collars that we've got and a lot of like remote training. So there's two sides of the coin. We've got all of the field workers, but then we've also got people like me who work more on the data and the data analysis side 
Um, but both of them are really important for informing the conservation practice. So yeah, that we work as a team and I'm more on the data side these days. Um, well, I was supposed to be going back to the field to do some of the deployments this year, but then obviously with the pandemic and the fact it was in South Africa, that was a no-go. <laughs> I can imagine. So been organizing remotely. <laughs> yeah. And so what have we found with the climate change? How has it impacted and affected the wild dogs? It's getting warmer. And so how is, what have you found so far? So wild dogs are what's known as crepuscular. So they're active at dawn and dusk um, and they'll hunt at dawn, they'll hunt at dusk. And in the day, at the, in the hottest time of the day, they'll generally sit in a big pile in the shade um, <laughs> or on top of each other. It's very cute. You can see their big dish ears sticking out. Um, that tends to be when we go and find them because they're in one place. They're not running around. So um, that's that's pretty um, convenient for the field team. And what I initially found was that um, when it's hot, the period at dawn and dusk, when it's cool enough for them to hunt, contracts. So they don't have as much time to hunt. Um, so when it's hot, they're less active um, and they go less far. Um, they're more likely to then hunt at night, but only if there's enough moonlight. So obviously we're not going to get more moonlight as it heats up. So that's a restriction that's that's kind of always going to be in place there. Um and kind of in the denning period, they don't really hunt at night at all. So they're not able to compensate for hot weather. Um, and another paper from our group found that um, when temperatures are higher, they have lower recruitment. So the pups are less likely to live until they're 12 months. Um, and also there's a longer period between one breeding attempt and the next um, if the weather was hot in that last breeding attempt. So they're um, reproducing less successfully and then my recent paper found that in our site at least um, they have lower survival at high temperatures as well um, and that's mainly driven by like human causes um, and also disease which isn't that surprising because um, a lot of animals get like suppressed immune system when it's hot um, so that if you have a disease you're more likely to, to get it badly um, and we see that sometimes in people as well um, so okay. yeah and so kind of like what we're working on now is putting this all together and kind of pinpointing why, what's driving these and how we might be able to do interventions to, to kind of compensate for them. And the good news is hopefully, um, because some of it at least seems to be human driven, hopefully some of the interventions that we would do anyway, like restoring habitat and um, reducing di uh, diseases from domestic dogs by vaccinating domestic dogs should hopefully also help with um, reducing the climate change risk. Have you seen a shift in the local communities in Africa to help conserve the wild dogs rather than shooting them or killing them? Well, what I would say was, is like it was mostly certain landowners back, like back in, you know, before um, things were like as they are now. And a lot of kind of like white, white people, well, they still are, but a lot of like white people are coming and taking the land off local people and then they would shoot them because the dogs would be um eating livestock and interfering with their farming um and that they would like treated as vermin by the colonialist governments and you'd actually get paid a reward for shooting wild dogs uh. um so that's not in place anymore obviously uh, so that's good news that's great um, news and um i think we've definitely seen a comeback so like our study site didn't have any wild dogs until like 2000 2001 and then um my current boss rosie who runs the like wild dog project 
she was studying lions and she saw three wild dogs jump out of a bush. And there hadn't been wild dogs since the 1980s in that area. And then up until 2017, that population grew and grew and grew um, until it was the fifth biggest population in the world. But then unfortunately in 2017, we had a massive canine distemper outbreak and it killed all of our study animals, uh, all of the dogs, except for one pack. Um, and that one pack is still thriving today and it's got really big now. So that's been really good. And we've had dispersers go off and hopefully we'll be getting some more study packs. Um, but it just goes to show that like they are really good at bouncing back if you give them the opportunity. And, you know, where we work is a mix of like tourism and farming. And, you know, landowners have like worked really hard to conserve the wild dogs and the tourist companies really want people to come and see them there. So I think that's been part of the success. And it just shows that if people, local people are on board, then then you can have a thriving population. Although the problem is the disease is kind of ever present and that can really wipe them out again. Canine, um, which is, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, yeah, can, canine distemper um, was was the disease, but also rabies, parvo, anything domestic dogs get, wild dogs will also get. Basically, is quite unfortunate. And that's um, with them just interacting closely with them, and that's how they're contracting these diseases. Yeah, um, or I guess like when some of the diseases we're not 100 percent sure on the mechanism for transfer there might be some species in between like jackals that are like transmitting it in between um but yeah like usually the we find that like the closer proximity the dogs are to domestic dogs the more likely they are to get these diseases so what's so what is the cure do we just vaccinate you said these domestic dogs are you guys like do we oh i hate to say this but like remove feral dogs is that even a big problem right now in africa i know in india it's a horrible problem yeah so it's not really such a big problem in africa um these are mostly owned dogs okay Um, if a dog's feral it's not going to survive very long is is generally what you find so most of these dogs have owners um they they are kind of letting them roam a lot of the time um but a lot of them use as more like herding dogs oh Um, okay which makes sense because they can help stop your sheep and goats and cows getting eaten um but i think a really key thing is going to be vaccinating domestic dogs um there's a really good rabies vaccination program run in lycipia um which was our field manager helped set up dayden he's absolutely fantastic and really good at these sorts of initiatives um and yeah, so that vaccinates domestic dogs, which is great because it means less people get rabies. It means less wild dogs get rabies. It means less domestic dogs get rabies. Um, so it's kind of a win-win-win situation. Um, so that kind of thing is really good. But sometimes it's a little bit harder to um, vaccinate against things like canine distemper because they don't affect people. So getting the funding can be quite tricky. Yeah, I'm still just trying to figure out. So how are just trying to wrap my mind around how the dogs are getting the wild dogs are getting the canine distemper. Um, so do they have to be bit by like another like like a domestic dog or just in the close proximity and they're going to get this disease? Like I'm just, you know, so or, there's a or, lot or with of the jackal yeah. growing into that. So it might be transmittable if they're like if, if, sometimes they'll go up and like sniff domestic dogs. So that's oh. definitely like a okay. big, <laughs> okay. um, a big like that would probably be pretty easy to transfer but then there's also like feces in the environment and there's also like yeah so there's probably quite a lot of different ways with parvo especially i think it would be really easy to be transferred by them like investigating another dog's feces because it's like a gastrointestinal issue um but there's still quite a lot of research on going into the exact mechanism of how they get canine distemper rabies seems to quite often be through obviously through biting because that's sure 
well rabies does but any sort of bodily fluid transfer for rabies is how it would be spread awesome awesome okay so i am listening i'm a listener right now i am hooked and by the way i want to see african wild dogs so bad i've only been to kenya and the maasai mara which my friend said they actually saw a couple wild dogs like a few years like a couple years ago which is insane they haven't been there for a while right yeah yeah exactly there's been a lot of like efforts to bring them back so yeah Yes, but where's the best place in the world once this pandemic, once it kind of, I don't want to say goes away because it won't, but I'm talking about once it, I don't even know how to say that, like once our world gets semi back to normal and we're able to travel safely, where's the best place to see African wild dogs? So that's really tough because I think I probably would have said, oh, the the Okavango Delta is amazing. Oh, yeah. It's the biggest population of wild dogs, but it's also really big. So it can be really hard to see them. So I went for like 10 days. I didn't see a single wild dog. So... Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I think there probably are some other areas that I haven't been where it might be a bit easier to see them. Um, I think like Kippy is a pretty decent bet because we do study them. So often you hear the second hand, like, oh, they're here. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's kind oh. of easy to find out where they are. Um, Lake, Lake but... what? I'm sorry. Lake Hippia? Lake Hippia. It's Lake just Hippia. a bit north of Nairobi. Oh. It's five hours north of Nairobi. Nairobi and Kenya. Okay. Lake Hippia. Yeah, like a hippie. K I A P I A, I think. You already lost me. You already lost me. Lake, Lake Hick Hippia, like like Lake Hippia. Lake Hippia. Okay, okay. I'm just writing it down. I have to. I'm jotting these notes. Only five hours north of Nairobi. That sounds nice. Yeah, and then there's some like pretty good places in Zim, like the Save Valley. Um, I think the the key really is like going with someone who's like really into you got to go somewhere where they're like really into their wild dogs because then they'll be really have their ear to the ground on where the wild dogs are whereas i think sometimes if people go on safari there's like a lot of people on the safari that are like oh i just want to see lions or you know it's a much less common animal for people to want so um yeah the they won't necessarily have the network Whereas the easiest way to find them is to have a network of people that are looking out for them and can tell you where they are. <laughs> okay, so I have a question for you because you've been out in the field so much. So the one animal that evaded me every time I've been to Africa was a leopard. So oh, really? Yes. I, I've, I've been to the Mara, Lake Nakuru, Lake Navasha, which I know they're there but not really seen. I've never seen a leopard. Like I've been to the Mara like several times. Never, I've never seen a leopard. Which is more elusive in your eyes, the leopard or the wild dog? Not in the oh, Mara, but just in... Dogs. They're definitely more elusive than leopard. Yeah, really. because like even with collared wild dogs, we struggle to find them sometimes. It's just because they move so far. Whereas the leopard, if you see a leopard one day and you go back there the next day, there's a good chance it will be in the same place. So like, yeah, I think... I mean, I, I maybe I'm a bit biased because I've seen a lot of leopards. Like, oh, just I have rubbing quite it a funny in my story. Face. The first time I saw a leopard, we were looking for cheetahs to collar, and I was like, had my binoculars, and I was like, really excited. I was like, cheetah, cheetah, and then like I looked through, and I was like, oh, it's a leopard, and then I was like, wait, I've never seen a leopard. Oh my gosh, was it in the tree or out in the just? It out? was just in the grass, so that was why I thought it was a cheetah because I could just see the tail and like a bit of like the head, like the spotted head sticking up. So I was like, cheetah, and then I was like, damn, it's a leopard, and then but it was. It was like, actually, I should, should have been excited, I realized. But because I was working and we didn't oh need to like God. find it for work, then that was kind of my initial disappointment that it wasn't a cheetah. But oh. since then, I've seen quite a few. Um, Botswana is really, really, really good for, for seeing leopards. 
Yeah, okay. Good to know. I've just I can't wait to see a leopard. I cannot wait. I've seen plenty of cheetahs. I've seen cheetahs with cubs and like I love cheetahs, but it's like for some reason I don't know. The leopard just I've been so fascinated by them. I think the key is obviously you need to be looking for something else, right? Like every yes! time I've seen leopards it's been like i've been looking for wild dogs or cheetahs so. yeah yeah and you know what i tried reverse psychology but it, I, I don't think i was doing it right because i was like i don't want to see a leopard i don't want to see a leopard but yet i was scanning every tree like i feel like when you're there scanning every tree like i don't feel like you're gonna see them i feel like they just they're like a ghost they just they, i don't know they come out when you're least expecting it yep the best trick for seeing any animal when you when you're out there is just look for where the other cars are <laughs> That I is was true. like, oh, how do you spot animals? I'm like, I don't, I spot the tour vehicles and then I go there. <laughs> but you know, can I say something? And I think you would agree with me. Some of the best sightings are the ones when it's just you and you just stumble upon and you don't have tour vehicles. Yeah, I, I do. I would say that. But then like, why pass up the opportunity? Like if there's a tour vehicle. Oh, there, yeah. But then we're always that really weird tour vehicle where we're like just looking at a bird and then all the other tour vehicles come over and they're like, like, what are you looking at? And we're like this bird. And then they're like, oh, and then yeah. they just drive off. <laughs> yeah, my uh, no, 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 you're right. I would never pass up like a congregation of tour vehicles. But I, you, you know what I mean, though? But like, I would I don't know. I'd be a lion, though. Huge disappointment. You don't like lions? <laughs> are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Lions. I get my wild dogs. I know, I know, you're right, you're right. No, it's funny. It, it, and they're always sleeping. Always, yeah, they're not doing anything interesting ever. And they're just, I know, when I was in Africa, uh, my friends from Africa, they just kind of like rolled their eyes, like, oh, another lion. I was like, you guys, and, you know, they're like, do you want to see him? I'm like, of course. And they just, yeah, they don't do much. They just, you know, they're there. Always napping, yeah. I'm, I'm at the point now where I really annoy whoever I'm like out with like if I have a safari guide especially because they're like what do you want to see and I'm like mm, pangolin oh pangolin yes <laughs> and they're like no it's never happening honey wait wait honey badger have you seen honey badger yeah yeah when I was what? in Botswana there was a honey badger that used to come into the camp every evening and like rattle all the food stuff trying to get into them and he would like run around and one night I wake up and he's like outside my tent literally having a fight with a lion I was like oh <laughs> I want to watch, but also this is scary. <laughs> oh my God. That's insane. Awesome. Well, listen, Dr. Danny, we are, can you join me for the after show? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Let's do it. Okay. So listeners, please join us for the after show. All you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max to listen uh, for the after show. Dr. Danny, for those of listening though, uh, where can they find you and find you on social media? I know you have some books out as well. G give us all your plugs. Cool. Yeah. So you can find me mostly on Twitter at Danny Rabiotti. That's D-A-N-I-R-A-B-A-I-O-T-T-I. Not the easiest name to spell in the world. <laughs> um, and I also have um, some books. So I wrote some books with a colleague of mine um, in the US, Nick Caruso, um, and they are Does It Fart? <laughs> which is all about animal flatulence true or poo which is all about gross animal facts and fictions and the most recent one is believe it or snot which is all about animal slime and you can kind of find them at any reputable bookstore go independent if you can but also they're on amazon as well oh my god so we're gonna talk more about her books does it fart in the after show thank you so much danny i appreciate it no worries thanks ever so much for having me 
Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.